You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is a social entrepreneur and attorney who focuses on startup companies, nonprofit organizations, and arts and entertainment law issues. Creative Confidential starts now. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. We have a very accomplished person with us this morning. And I don't, when we have someone like Valerie uh, Giglio on with us, I'm not sure how to introduce you. A writer, um, musician, attorney. There's a lot, uh, you have a lot of uh, identifiers. So, so thank you, Valerie, for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's um, an honor. Now, Valerie, I had been following your career because I had, I think, first, number one, because we're both jazz people, so we tend to, uh, we tend to notice one another, and also, I, I, you have a really compelling story of. You know, something had happened to you and then you battled back from that. And, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and it is just a tremendously inspirational uh, story. So, you know, I guess first, you know, let's talk music a little bit. And I know oh. I know you're a jazz singer or maybe that's not. Well, not a jazz singer. Um I, I, I have say I did this. My first CD was a, a CD of jazz standards. I sang in the jazz trio, but I guess I wouldn't call myself a specific jazz singer. I, I, I like to do a lot of different styles. What would you, and, and I know that's, you know, music, you know, stylistically, it's difficult to say somebody is, you know, a, an R&B singer or they're into, you know, hip hop or rock because all genres now are kind of, borrow yes. from one another heavily um mm -hmm. so you know what would you say when someone comes up to you and goes oh well what well, you know what do you do musically what's your what is your answer sure i guess um you know i i sort of a, a, a you know i really wouldn't know what to say. i guess i would say a mixture of rock and pop right now because i lost my voice and we'll get to that i guess um soon i lost my voice in a stroke my singing voice rather in a stroke and um, when I got it back, you know, it's a, the quality is a little bit different. Uh, it's more suited to more a pop and rock style. When did you first start singing? When when was that beginning for you? Uh, I was singing when I was uh, oh in, in elementary school. I started well. I started dancing when I was about uh, three or four years old, and then I got into performing. I got the performing bug, and then I. Uh, became very active in the music program in my school and I started playing an instrument in the third grade I believe uh, fourth grade and then I joined the, the choirs and the show choirs and we, we even performed in Disney World I remember um, so I got my start you know learning about music um, through school was there a particular performance you know everybody has 
a story like this where it was a high school talent show or it was a you know a school dance that your rock band got hired to play or something like that i know we're i'm dating myself uh <laughs> now with that but was there a moment for you where the light bulb went on and you thought okay this is what you know this is what i am at my core no, actually, because I've always felt that way. So I don't, there wasn't anything particular. I, it just came natural to me. And that's always what I wanted to do ever since uh, I was, ever since I could remember, I wanted to perform and I wanted to sing and I wanted to dance. I wanted to play instruments in, in public. So I, to me, it was natural and I really enjoyed it. What was your first professional gig? Do you remember? first professional gig you know I was singing with a dance band a dance music band uh, right after I graduated college and I remember we would play at um, we would play at uh, these um, you know these uh, local pubs I remember doing that I think that might have been but nothing really in particular stands out but I'm I'm pretty sure that that was the first time I actually uh, had a professional gig I was very young, very young, maybe maybe just 21, 22, I believe. Yeah. It was only, you know, two weeks ago. It wasn't that long ago, was it? <laughs> um, it time it just goes so fast. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're performing professionally mm-hmm. and you, you know, at some point you make a decision to go to law school. Yes. Tell me about how that came about because the two things are uh, seemingly very unrelated. And I know when I can imagine, you know, when you're out and about and people who know you as an attorney Mm -hmm. find this out, they're kind of thrown for a loop because they they, are right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, I do a lot of criminal defense work and uh, sometimes I'd say, oh my gosh, you know, if they find out that I'm a singer, they're going to, all the, all the criminal clients are going to want to come to the gigs and they're all going to want to hear me sing. Uh, But it is kind of, it, it, when they, the clients do find out, it it definitely is a a conversation starter uh, to say the least. That is for sure. Yes, definitely. Well, and most people expect that um, you know, with, for some reason with law, there tends, there seems to be a perception, uh, as far as I can tell that you are a very right brained, you know, logically driven person that doesn't appreciate the arts when in fact, if you're, if you do any trial work, mm-hmm. and I, I think in our prior conversations, you've, you've mentioned this, that you know, when you do any kind of trial work, if you're in front of people, public speaking engagements, you know, those are all performances to some extent. And, oh, absolutely. And, and you need to be, you know, having some stage presence and an ability to work a group of people mm-hmm. uh, really comes in handy. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Was it always your intention to focus on trial work when you were in law school or did you have some other plan? school, I always wanted to have my own practice because I wanted to get into uh, law. I'd like to, you know, I wanted to write my own contracts and, um, and things of that nature in as far as entertainment uh, 
ghosts. And so that was my thought when I was in law school. And I said, you know, I really want to have my own practice and, and do my own thing and be able to write my own contracts and represent myself and, and so forth. And so I just sort of fell into the trial work as I, as I had my own practice. And um, it just went from there. And what's the... So had you ever worked for anyone else um, or no? Well, you know, as far as um, being a lawyer, uh, I clerked for other people. Um, I worked as a paralegal for a few law firms. But, uh, you know, as far as being a full-time attorney, it's always been in my own my own practice. Yeah, that's that's the way to go. I mean, this job's hard enough. And yeah. if once you layer on top of it, um, managing other people's personalities and demands, it's, uh, it gets exponentially, uh, <laughs> more unpleasant. I'll, I'll put it that oh, way. Okay. Um, yes, yes. So you're, you're, in my view, you're definitely doing it the right way. And I think in any, you know, in any creative endeavor, um, working, working for yourself is the optimal mm -hmm. solution because, you know, innovation or, or being disruptive in your industry or space is only going to come from doing things differently rather than, you know, how other people think, you know, you should do them. So. Exactly. Okay. So you perform professionally as a younger person, you yes. go to law school and mm -hmm. you get out, form your own law firm. And yes, what, um, what shape does your musical career take, you know, following your graduation from law school? You know, how often are you gigging? How, how do you, how do you manage it all? How do you make it work? Well, I would gig, um, I don't know, maybe a, a few times a month. Um, I, uh, I sang in um, a couple of different bands. I sang in a classic rock band. Then I met Al Vega. Al Vega, he's, uh, he passed away a few years ago. But he was a local jazz legend, actually a regional jazz legend, um, very well known in Boston and New England circles. Um, he in, uh, invited me to be a part of his trio, one of his singers. He would have um, many singers at different um, venues he'd be performing, so I would be one of his singers. And I sang with the Al Vega Trio for about 10 years, and I did my first CD with them. And um, that's where I got into singing jazz music. And after he passed away, I had made uh, a second CD in Italian. It was um, because I am, uh, my family's Italian and I um, really feel uh, a, a great um, affection for that culture and the language. So I did that, that CD and uh, then I joined the recording academy um, and then I had a stroke and lost everything. So that's the long and short of it. Okay. Which is, which is a segue that we, we do yeah. need to make because mm -hmm. um, the, I mean, this story just really blew my mind that you were able to uh, come all the way back and, 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 and get back, you know, back on, on, on your feet, literally and, and figuratively. Um, now, before we get into that, I should remind everybody we will link to Valerie's uh, music page. Uh, so her her albums are on there. You can check out her music. And also, um, her is, Valerie is a published author. 
And uh, the title of the book is Singing in My Own Key, A Vocalist's Triumph Over Stroke. Uh, it's getting really great reviews from uh, from some pretty heavy hitting places. This is not uh, this is not a book that someone wrote themselves, edited themselves, and just you know threw out there. Um, yes. You got, I mean, you have a review from the uh, the Portland Book Review uh, on the web page. Who else? Who else? Publishers would... Weekly. Publishers Weekly selected me. Um selected my book for review. I, they only select a very small percentage, and I was very fortunate that I, I was chosen. Um, also, Reader's Favorite gave me a five-star review, um, and so I've, I've been uh, very fortunate, and the book just really ha- keeps going. And um, the audiobook version is going to be released in about another week or so, so we'll see what happens then. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about you know, the, the incident first, and then we'll, mm-hmm. then we'll get into all the, the nitty gritty, especially the mechanics of, uh, the mechanics of publishing and getting just getting a book reviewed these days by anybody reputable is almost impossible because mm-hmm. there is so much content out there. Yes. And because the publishing world has, such a low barrier to entry now. And what I mean by that is Mm -hmm. you can produce a manuscript and with a little bit of effort, you can prep that manuscript for, for Kindle, you know, Kindle has one format. Um, Barnes and Noble Nook has a different format. Apple's iBooks has a different format, but you know, you can navigate all that by yourself and self publish Mm -hmm. as a result. You know, there are, tens of thousands of titles out there every year that, you know, would not have made the cut in the traditional mm-hmm. model. So, so let's, let's talk, you know, about, you know, about what happened and, you know, walk us through, walk us through the incident so we can get a flavor for, um, for, for what happened. Sure. Um, I actually was, I just was, uh, I turned my neck one morning in bed as I was getting ready to go to court to meet a client and I just turned my neck the wrong way and it broke the arteries leading to my brain and a blood clot formed in my travel to my brainstem a few days later and unbeknownst to me, I just was walking around like there was nothing wrong except for the severe neck pain. And then um, I had a stroke a couple of days later, a brainstem stroke, and I was completely paralyzed on my left side. Um, my singing voice was completely destroyed, as was my musical ability, because I couldn't, um, I couldn't sing anymore. I mean, I, I couldn't do anything that that makes you a singer. I, I couldn't. I had no tone, no vibrato, no ability to stay on pitch, and you know. Lit- Literally that afternoon, I was rehearsing for a big showcase I was going to be in Boston. And so um, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, surreal, I guess. It was, it was terrible. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe that within a matter of a minute, everything would be completely wiped out. And so, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, that that's okay. Please continue. Yes. And um, so I was in uh, the hospital. I was in rehab. Um, I was in for a year outpatient, but a few months I was in the hospital for inpatient. And I um, relearned to walk 
I had to relearn to use my left side completely because I was completely paralyzed on the left. Um, I also lost my ability to swallow, so I had to get that back as well. Um, and so I, um, I, I spent, like I said, I spent a year uh, relearning how to do these things. And then I started singing lessons again shortly after I got out of the hospital. So I, I said, you know, this is crazy. I really have to relearn to sing again. Um, so I went to the, the Real School of Music um, in Burlington, Mass, and I had Vicki Vox as my vocal coach, and I relearned to sing. So, so let's rewind a little bit. Yes. Not a little bit, a lot, because a lot of, a, that's a quite a journey you just reeled off in, in mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, I know you've probably told <laughs> this story. Uh <laughs> A lot, but so, so the injury to your arteries happened simply by turning your head quickly or in an awkward way. I'm a little bit confused on how. Yes, I'm confused on how as well. I was waking up one morning and my alarm clock went off and I flopped over just to look at the alarm clock. And the way that I flopped over must have must have done it. Uh, there's no other explanation. I've had every medical test in the, uh, in the book. And, um, you know, that that's when it happened for me. I got this severe, severe pain um, right when I turned my neck. And it stayed that way for a few days. And then I uh, went to sleep one night a few days later. And then I woke up with a brainstem stroke a couple of days, a couple of hours later. So the first couple of days after the incident you're walking around and you thought maybe you pulled a muscle maybe or Mm -hmm. and you had to go to the uh, physical therapy because I said oh my gosh I said I must have pulled a muscle in my neck and this is very very painful and I remember thinking you know what could it be you know I, I did there was nothing that I had done other than turn my neck in bed and at the second day Mm-hmm. You know, after the the second day while you're sleeping is when, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. So when you're sleeping, that's when the stroke happens. Uh, the stroke happened about um, three or four days later. Three or four um, I days actually later. Woke up, yeah, I woke up on a Wednesday morning turning my neck, having the pain. And then on Sunday evening is when I had the stroke. Were you awake when it happened? Were you asleep? How did it? How did well, that I, transpire? I, went to sleep. I actually went to the hospital uh, that day because I was in such pain. And I said that, you know, I better get to the hospital because what if I have spinal meningitis or so, something like that? Because, you know, the severe neck pain. And I said, you know, I, there was, I didn't have any other symptoms. That's all I had. So I went to the hospital and they said, oh, no, you're fine. You know, you just, you just uh, must have slept the wrong way. You probably, you know, just pulled a muscle in your neck. And they sent me home. And literally only a couple of hours after I went home that night, um, you know, I, I went to, I fell asleep and then I woke up two hours later. So it wasn't a full night's sleep, but I woke up two hours later and the entire room was, I could see double. I couldn't see straight. I saw double and everything was spinning completely. Um, severe, severe dizziness um, and no left side and, um, and, and double vision. And then they took me back to the uh, hospital, and then they still didn't know what was wrong with me. Uh, so then they um, transferred me to Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, where they found uh, the stroke in, in, in two minutes. And um, they really saved my life. 
and we're talking complete paralysis on your left side. Yes, complete. Hands, feet, yes. uh, mm-hmm. and t- tell us about how it affected your ability to to talk, to communicate. Well, my um, I had a, my my face was slanted. You know, it was uh, uh, drooped. My face was drooped, mm-hmm. and I was slurring a little bit. Um, but I, you know, wasn't, um, I, I could still communicate, uh, and it was very, very weak and high pitched. And I could only talk for maybe a few moments at a time because I, I just couldn't do it physically. I, I just couldn't get enough strength to speak. And so, um, that, um, that, then I couldn't, I couldn't sing. So I tried, of course, being a singer, that's the first thing. I do. I'm, I'm lying in the ICU bed and I start to try to sing. I tried to sing at last because at last was one of my signature songs. And I always kept in my mind, I said, well, if I, as long as I can sing at last, you know, I'll be okay. Like if I ever had a cold or something, I always, you know, that was my test, my litmus test. Mm-hmm. So uh, I couldn't sing it at all. I, I know, I knew where the melody was supposed to be, but I, I couldn't mimic it. I, I just had no ability to sing on on pitch, I had no ability to do anything but scream, weakly, um, hoarsely. It was terrible, and, and I also not feel my left vocal fold vibrating because I would put my fingers to my throat to see, you know, what was going on, and I couldn't feel that side. So in your head, you could form. You could you could form the words you knew what you wanted to say or you could hear the melody you knew what you wanted to sing but physically the sound just could not come out. Uh yes that well that's that's sort of yes because I mean I I, I knew I I could speak I I could always speak I didn't have aphasia where you know I lost my my speaking voice mm-hmm. but it was very very difficult um for me I I could speak um and it wasn't difficult as far as you know the act of speaking, just the, the energy required to actually speak above a whisper or to speak for more than a few moments at a time, you know, it was, uh, was very difficult. And, you know, it was slurred in the beginning. Um, as, as time went on, the, the, the slur um, disappeared, but, um, you know, it, it took me a, a while. People would come to visit me, and after maybe speaking a few sentences, you know, I would be ready for bed. I mean, completely wiped out, ready to pass out. That's how, yeah, I really couldn't, um, didn't have the stamina to to sing, to to even speak. Now, how long of a time period did the recovery take? Well, you know, I recovered in bulk in one year, Um, meaning I learned how to sing again. And although my singing voice was weak and, you know, I still had pitch problems, at least I could sing again. I didn't have my vibrato. I, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't really do a, a lot of vocal runs or anything like that, but at least I had the basics and I started to perform again as soon as I had the basics and as soon as I could walk again. Um, I performed uh, and then I, I performed one song and then they had to put a chair on the stage for me. So, how long did it take for you to learn to, like, just, you know, Focusing on specific skills, you know, to learn to walk again took how long? Well, to learn to, I, I was in therapy for a year 
And in that time, you see with a stroke, it's um, little by little. So it's not like you come one day and then you can walk. You know, you have to start out. You have to have a brace and, and a cane that to help you. Um, once you get out of the wheelchair, you maybe get out of the wheelchair for a few minutes each day with your physical therapist. And then she guides you. And then you have the, the cane and the brace. And then you build up from there. You do the exercises. And then um, when you're finally ready to shed those things, um, you still have a limp, a stroke limp, where the, you know, the left leg kind of juts out a little bit to the side. Um, you, so that's going to be corrected. So it, 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 it's a lengthy process. And my um, recovery was, was just, I, I was very, very lucky um, because a lot of people, it takes years and years, uh, if that, if they can recover the walking at all. Um, so it, it's a very difficult task. And physically, it's exhausting. I mean, I've I've never gone through um, physical therapy for uh, to to walk like you have. Um, I had a shoulder surgery that I had to come back from a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. And when you come out of physical therapy on any given day, you are wiped out. It's- well, yes, you're right because when. With a stroke, you know, your body is becomes very, very weak. And so maybe, you know, I would be wiped out just walking to the end of my driveway to get the mail um, as a practice. You know, um, mm-hmm. I would go and I, I'd say, okay, well, let me walk to the end of my driveway and, and then go a little bit further each day. But that was just exhausting. And in physical therapy, if I look back now, um, knowing, you know, that I'm recovered now, um, that would not normally be nothing. I mean, I would normally do it, it would be an hour each day or, or so, and you would do um, things that would normally not even phase um, the, the, the average person. But when you're involved in physical therapy, it's because you have an injury, it takes a lot of energy from you. Yeah, exactly right. And, and, you know, something as simple as walking, you know, let's say 60 feet to the end of the driveway and, and back or however long it is, um, you know, you need, you're ready for uh, a nap or, or something. <laughs> I would, oh, yes, I would yes. think, um, yes. I mean, I'd get out of, uh, I had to have my shoulder rebuilt, um, a couple of years ago. And, you know, when, when I got home from, PT, uh, I'd be out for a little while just to, um, just to re- recover from, from all of that. So not, not, yeah. not at all the same thing. And I will never, mm-hmm. will never, uh, pretend that it was, oh. but, but, um, so all of this mm-hmm. is captured. Here's a professional segue. How are you ready for this? Yes. All of this is captured in your book, singing in my yes. own key a vocalist triumph over stroke. Let's talk about that a little bit. And when did the inspiration to write the book come to you? Well, I was sitting in the hospital. Actually, I started to write this book when I only had one hand. And I would be in, I'd be lying in my hospital bed. And I said, you know, I'd really like to write a memoir about this. And so I said, let me start now. And so I started jotting down what I could um, with one hand. And then when I got out, I started working on it little by little um, at home as I went to outpatient therapy. And, and then when I got the ability to use my left hand back and I could type 
again with my left hand, um, I started working even more on the book. And so I um, really put together a book that chronicled my first year out of recovery. And so um, it was it was definitely an endeavor. Well, that's amazing that, you know, even lying in the recovery room, you're you're. I'm sorry, rehab, you know, immediately you're, you're, you're pushing forward with, you know, a a concept that, um, you know, most people just want to get through it. In other words, you know, they're, they're just happy to get home or get discharged from rehab or, or what have you. And, um, it's interesting, you know, creators, do stuff like this when just because they have to, I I suspect, I mean, was there any question in your mind that you were going to finish the book or did it just, you just started working on it? No, I I always knew that I was going to finish the book because that's how I am. When I put my mind to something and I start to do it, I don't accept anything less. So I knew that I was going to finish it. um, And I really wanted to get it done as soon as possible because I, I don't, I'm very impatient. Right. I don't right. like to wait. <laughs> so, oh, that was uh, that was it. I mean, the only thing that I do wish now is that I wish that I chronicled the uh, two or three years after the stroke instead of one, um, because I have so much more to tell. So, how long did it take you from start to finish, from the time you started, you know, started the initial notes? to the day that the manuscript is finished and published, how long of a period of time did that take? Uh, that took about two years. Yeah, it's. I mean, writing a book is a long process. And in this, you yes. know, in this day and age where everything has to happen immediately, um, that's that takes a lot of, uh, a lot of determination for sure. Um, yes, and I just did the audio book version. Um, that's going to be released in August. So that took me about a year. I kind of overlapped with that. So I started that, and then I I, I started that in 2016, um, a little bit before the book was published. I started um, seriously thinking about the audio book, maybe even sooner, actually. I I, um, I worked on it with a, a friend of mine, produced it. So that's – and it's important to note here that, you know, most people – when you know when they have a, a work that is is put into an audiobook format you know they'll hire a professional voiceover artist to mm-hmm. you know to read the manuscript and and record it and do all that i find it really interesting that part of your you know part of the injury or the or the effects of the stroke were was the the inability to speak clearly and here you're recording you know, fast forward a couple of years and now you're recording the audiobook yourself. How many hours is the, is, is the audiobook in terms well, of I, if I sit down and listen to it, how many? Yes, how, it's almost, it's approximately seven hours. And so, um, you know, I, at first, and I, I guess it's more to me, with me, it was more of an issue of stamina than speaking clearly because I could always commune, people could always understand me. So it wasn't really, you know, in in the very beginning, I was I was slurred. But then, as things improved, um, they improved, you know, quickly for me regarding that. However, um, the stamina was very slow. 
So I could only, you know, speak for, like I said, I speak for moments at a time before it would make me dizzy or ready to pass out or I'd have to go to bed. And so now I've done a seven hour audio book, which, you know, I've been in the studio for, for hours at a time, you know, for, uh, you don't know, it, over a year, you know, almost two years. So. Yeah. If, if anyone listening at home, if you've done any kind of, um, you know, whether it's a commercial, you know, a 30 second, um, voiceover or a voiceover for a presentation or a video, um, this takes a long time. It's not like you sit down and you do the first take on, on everything and keep that. I mean, to, you know, you have a, how, how many pages is the book? Um, you know what? I've got the book right here. Um, let me see. The book is, uh, 164 pages. Okay. So you have 164 pages of content to deliver into a recording and have it be convincing and persuasive and engaging that takes a long time. Uh, and that takes a heck of a lot of energy, um, to do. So how can, when does the audiobook release? When is that? Um, it should be releasing August 1st. Okay. So if I'm interested in the hard copy, obviously I can go to Amazon. I can go to Barnes and Noble, you know, bn.com or any of those services and buy it online. Yes. The audiobook, how do I get that? Well, the audiobook is going to be released first on CD Baby and then on Audible. And then um, obviously it'll be on my website from August 1st on, but um, and CD Baby and then Audible will come hopefully a few days later. Audible, I don't really know exactly um, because it's in production right now. So I'm hoping that it will release sometime um, in very, very early August. And for with CD Baby, I'm just downloading MP3s of each chapter or how does the format work? Um, you know, I you do download, you could download the entire book. Um, on my website, you will be able to... Um, Actually, I don't, I think it's just the whole book. Yes, it's correct. It's just the whole book um, for download. Okay, well, let's review. We have we have music on the website. It's ValerieGilio.com and there'll be a link. Uh, yes. There'll be a link to all of that on the show notes page mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast website. And, you know, Valerie is has a terrific story to tell. I think we really only scratched the surface of it here today. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> of course. Um, so please go, go check the book out or the audio book uh, when, when that format is ready. And, you know, I'd really like to, to check in, uh, you know, let's check in maybe in, in a year and see. Oh, that would be wonderful. I'm actually, I just got a, to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. So hopefully I'll be um, in my studies, continuing my studies there the next time we speak. Okay, hold on a second. Now, okay, sorry. wait, say that again. <laughs> so now how, so you're going to Berkeley College of Music as an adult, I'll say not, you know, most people go out yes. right out of high school. How did that come about? Well, you know, um, after you lose your ability to sing, you know, when it, when it comes back, you're so grateful. And then I said, you know, I, I never went to college for music. I, 
went to college for accounting and then law. And so I always wanted to study music. And I live in Boston, only a few mo- a few minutes drive from um, one of the best music schools in the entire world. So I said, you know, now that I've got my voice back, I want to audition for Berkeley because for me that would really mean so much like i've lost my voice i get it back and now i'm good enough to go to berkeley you know so that was um a big big deal for me personally well sure for for those of you who don't know what berkeley college of music is it is i would say one of the best you know the conservatories of the world Curtis Institute, Juilliard, those types of places, you know, really cater uh, or are focused on orchestral and and opera in that space. But if you were going to do anything in the contemporary music industry, mm-hmm. really in it, Berkeley College of Music is is the one of the most competitive schools in the United States to get into. And, I, and the fact that uh, you threw me for a loop when you mentioned that at the end just sort of as a as a footnote to the whole <laughs> conversation, because that's uh, that's a that's an a, an incredible uh, accomplishment just to get in, and once you're in, it's it's an ultra competitive uh, environment. So, um, yeah, we we should check in after maybe your first year or first semester, and 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 uh, and do an update because I'm sure you're going to have some pretty good stories to uh, to tell after that. Thank you. Yes, I would love that. All right. Well, Valerie, thank you again for joining us. And everybody, go to Valerie's website and and really dig into what she's gone through. Uh, it's just an incredible story. And, you know, again, thanks so much. And uh, I hope we, we talk again soon. Thank you for having me, Brian. Really. You too. Thanks, Valerie. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud or Stitcher or visit us on the web at creativeconfidential.net.